Um, like Catherine said, we're, we're currently uh, walking through the book of John, looking at Jesus' statements, his claims about himself, where, where he starts by saying, I am. And he was doing this because he had realized that as he was moving from village to village, town to town, it was, it was necessary for him to tell people who he was, that people had no idea who Jesus was, and because they had no idea who he was, had a really vague understanding of who God was. And so he felt it necessary to go, you know what, I need to pull back a little bit and begin to unpack who I am, because it's incredibly important. It's incredibly important for us to understand that if we truly want to experience the fullness of who God is, we've got to understand who Jesus is. And so we've been walking through the uh, seven I am statements that Jesus makes, and this morning we're going to be looking at I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you been in church for a while, if you uh, handled the Bible uh, over some time, you would be familiar with this passage. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so what I'm going to do as we jump in is I'm going to, I'm going to read, uh, we're only going to be in six verses and then we'll dance a little bit in the Old Testament. Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these six verses to you. And then like we did last week, I'm literally just going to walk through it. Line by line, verse by verse, unpacking golden nuggets of wisdom that are found in this scripture. They communicate about who Jesus is. And once we understand that, it will change the way we live. It truly will change the way we live. And so if you have your Bible, this morning might be a good time to actually bring it out because we're not projecting anything on the screen. Um, But if you have an app as well, you can turn to it. Uh, you meet me in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And we'll be in the first six verses. And so what I'll do is I'll read the scripture to us. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying, I ask that you would pray for me. That God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine. Right here. This very morning. John chapter 14. Verse 1 to 6. Hear these words of our Father. Let your hearts Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we don't have to put our trust in sound systems and electricity, but rather we want to put our trust in you. And that you continue to work through whatever challenge it is that we're going through. And so I'm crying out to you, God, that you would meet us where we are. That you would meet every single person here where they are. And then they would come to a realization that they desperately need you. Would you open up our hearts to your word? That we want to see you for who you are. We pray against any distractions here this morning. And so it's to that end that, Father, I ask that you would stand in my body that you would think through my mind, that you would speak through my mouth, and think through my mind, those things you'd have us know and say and do. Father, we love you. We praise you. And would you show us through your very word our desperate need for you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The passage starts by saying, this is, this is what Jesus says to his disciples, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now let's pause here for a moment and ask a question. Why, why is Jesus saying this to them? Why, why would Jesus say this to his disciples? They're, they're sitting about to have supper and he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't, don't worry, guys. Why would they be worried? We have to peel back a little bit to, to give some context to what's going on here because I want to see that and find it unbelievably confusing. Especially the way we've been walking through John. We've been literally jumping from one statement to another, missing huge chunks of scripture. And so if I'm following the I Am series and then I get to here and I hear Jesus say, guys, don't worry, I'd be tremendously confused. I would be going, no, hold on, Jesus, I think things are going well for us. What are you talking about being worried? I'm not worried. Things are going great. Remember, last week we saw Lazarus being raised from the dead. At this point, Jesus has, has drawn a crowd. There's a bit of a, a movement starting around Jesus. As he goes from city to city and village to village, as he heals people, as he performs miracles, it's drawing a crowd. And so if I was one of the disciples, I, I might be sitting there going, listen, things are going well for us. This is great. Look at all these people, Jesus. But if you read John chapter 13, Jesus drops the bomb on the disciples. See, Jesus starts to talk about, listen, guys, I'm going to die pretty soon. He turns to his disciples and he says, that that crowd that's out there, many of them are going to betray me. In fact, one of you here is going to betray me. He turns to Peter and he says, Peter, there's coming a time soon, very soon, where you're going to deny me. I'm sure the disciples are going, wait, Jesus, what are you talking about? Why are you bringing this this bad vibe into the room? (laughs) See, Jesus is aware of what's about to happen. And so he looks into the eyes of his disciples as as he's just dropped the bomb on them. And you can see now they're beginning to get worried. Because, you see, for many of them, we're looking to Jesus as the Messiah, but yes, a different kind of Messiah. See, they were looking to him as the, the one who was going to come and free them from the Roman Empire. See, as they read the Old Testament, that, that's what they were thinking. They were like, man, this is, this is him. Look at the crowd. This is him. I'm sure one of them probably sitting and strategizing and going, we're now at a point where we have the numbers, Jesus. We have the numbers. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it's going to happen. And so worry begins to set in. They're starting to think, and I'm sure maybe one or two of them are going, did I make the right decision? We've been hanging out with Jesus for almost two years now. I left everything. And things are going great, but now he's going, no, 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 I'm leaving. Many in that crowd will betray me, maybe even some of you. Jesus can feel the anxiety in the room. And so he looks at them and he says, guys, don't, don't worry. See, but I believe those words aren't just for the disciples back then, but those words are for us right here this very morning. I'm sure many of you have walked in here filled with anxiety, troubled by something. You know what keeps you up at night. Maybe it might have been a challenge just to show up this morning. 
Because you, you, you want to walk in and, and everyone's happy and, and say, how are you doing? Oh, great. But you know inside, I am worried and troubled. I'm anxious. Jesus wants you to know this morning. He, he knows that. He knows what you're going through. And so he says to you like he said to the disciples, God's not in trouble. So what are we to do? Jesus continues to say, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. Don't worry, but rather trust in God. And how you trust in God is by trusting in me. Trust in me. Verse 2, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that way I am with you also. Jesus says, listen guys, don't worry, trust in me. Trust in me, I'm going home. I'm going to prepare a place for you, a place of rest, where you can experience full joy. I'm going to come back. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that not only did Jesus die, not only did he resurrect, but he ascended. And even now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you. He's preparing a room for you. And so we can look to the future with hope. That's what he says to the disciples. That's what he's saying to us. He says to them, and you know the way to where I am going. I've spent time with you these, these three years that we've been hanging out. I've been constantly pouring it into you guys. Trust in God by trusting in me. I'm going home to prepare a place for you. But life doesn't end here. Trust in me. You know where I'm going. That's what he says. But I love Thomas's response. Thomas' response in verse 5 is phenomenal. Because I, I can only imagine, much like maybe a, a city group, a Bible study, we're all sitting there and the, the leader is just unpacking so much wisdom from the scriptures. And maybe you're looking to the right and the left and everyone's sitting there like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's so good. And this guy, he's just he's using these big theological words and everyone in the room is just going, mm, maybe even one or two amens. But Thomas is not that guy. See, in verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? I love Thomas. He's known as, as doubting Thomas. But, but what I love about him is that he, he makes Jesus a safe place. A place where we can doubt, a place where we can go. You know what, actually, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. Because half the time, it, it sounds like you're always speaking in riddles. I never really know, like, is, is, this, is this true? Are we, supposed to, are we supposed to do something? Wait, Jesus, is this just a parable? I have no idea what you're talking about. I love that response. I say this every Sunday, that, that we at Rooted Fellowship, we want to be a place where people can feel like they can belong long before they believe. 
That it can be a safe environment where people can come and go, you know what, I, I, I don't believe everything. Or I don't understand everything. I don't get it. Or, or I'm on a journey here. I'm, a, I'm on a journey to, to wanting to know more about God. I don't have everything together. I don't know all the scriptures that are found in the Bible. I, I, I just don't. Thomas tells us that Jesus is a sacrifice. I love that about him. A quiet room. Jesus unpacking this, this beautiful theological truth. Thomas is like, nope. I'm not going to be like one of these guys. Jesus, I have no idea where you're going. I have no idea what you're talking about. And how Jesus handles that is so beautiful. It tells us that he, he is full of grace and full of mercy. He doesn't, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't turn to him and go, Thomas, come on. It's been three years now, Thomas. Come on. <laughs> he doesn't. He, he engages him with grace and compassion. He just, he just simply answers. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. When Thomas says, I have no idea where you're going, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, for many of us who, who've probably read this scripture many times, that might seem very, very plain. Tremendously plain. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We can pack up and go home. The danger is that we can miss the beautiful truth that is found here. And when we truly understand it, when we anchor ourselves in this truth, it has unbelievable implications for us. And so to, to try to show you this morning what this, this beautiful piece of scripture means, I'm going to take us to the Old Testament. Because here's why. Often when Jesus would say things, he was referring to the Old Testament. He was dragging the Old Testament into the present. He was wanting the people to see that all that's been promised in the Old Testament has now been fulfilled in me. <coughs> and I believe this very statement, this I am statement, can be found in the Old Testament. And so if you have your Bible or electronic device and you, you want to meet me in Psalm 86... Psalm 86, we're going to be in three verses, and only three, from verse 11 to 13. David wrote these words, and he himself was incredibly troubled when he cried out to the Lord. When he cried out these words, he was in incredible trouble. He was being persecuted. And so he, he cries out to the Lord, and as we walk through this passage, I want you to see the parallels when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Psalm 86, verse 11. Hear these words of our Father spoken through David. He says, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your manner. Teach me your conduct. Teach me your standards, your way of life. Teach me your way. Oh Lord. And so if we look through scripture, 
we'll find that, that the Lord's way, the, the Lord's standard is one of righteousness. It's one of perfection. That everything that he does is perfect. And so when David says, teach me your way, O Lord, teach me your righteousness. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, he is saying, I am that righteousness. I am that perfection. The one that David cried out to, pleading with the Lord to teach, I am him. Now if the story ended here, this would be incredibly depressing. Incredibly depressing. Because it's like he's, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to us, and he's saying, I am perfect. I am righteous. And, and here's why, if that's where the story ends, here's why it's depressing, is that we all know that we are not perfect. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. We are not perfect. I know some in here might go, well, I'm actually a good person, but you're not good enough. You have short things. We are not perfect. But this is why the gospel is good news. It's because it doesn't end there. Jesus says, no, hold on. I am that righteousness. I am that perfection. But the beauty of the gospel is that that perfection, that righteousness is accredited to us when we put our trust in Jesus. It is given to us. And we don't have to work for it. Jesus stands and says, I lived the perfect life that you could not live. And that perfect life allowed a perfect death, a perfect resurrection, a perfect ascension. And all of that has been accredited to you. All of it has been accredited to you. It's like showing up to an exam, having not studied, opening it up, Looking at the questions and going, oh my goodness. <laughs> Turning to the back and finding the answers here. All the answers at the back. See, today we call that cheating. <laughs> but in the kingdom of God, it's called grace. It's called grace. That God's perfection that is found in Jesus Christ has been accredited to us. And that we do nothing for it. No amount of work could ever claim it. That all we ought to do is trust in Him. And so He stands and He says, I am the way. The righteousness that David wanted to see, that is me. And it's accredited to you given to you, free, it is lavishly given to you. David continues, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. That word truth means your revelation. Show me your truth. Again, when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the very revelation of God. That if you, if you want to see God, you look at me. If you want to know the truth of God, you look at me. Incredible grace. 
And that not only is his righteousness accredited to us, but then he, he gives us the truth so that we might see it and then walk in it. The, the, the word walk here, Paul says, uh, David says that I might walk in your truth. When we see the word walk in the Old Testament, it talks of intimacy. Adam and Eve walked with God. There was intimacy in the garden. And so we are given this, this, this revelation so that we might be intimate with God. That we might walk with him. And so Jesus says, I am that truth, that revelation. Colossians tells us that when we, when we look at Jesus, we see who God is. He is the image of the invisible. So often I run into people who go, you know what, I just, I, I, I don't know what God is like. You've never seen him. I'm like, hold on, let me take you to the scriptures. I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. Because he says, I am the truth. I'm the very revelation of God. And it should always be like that. This church will always be like that. There will be many people who will come up here and teach and give truth, great principles. But if they are not anchored in the very truth of God, then we are to disregard them. We should be like the Bereans found in Acts chapter 17 when, when Paul says, listen, I, when I came to them, I would preach and it was phenomenal. I mean, Paul was a phenomenal preacher. And so he was like, I would preach and it was just amazing. But what I loved about the Berean people is that they would take the very scriptures of God, go home and sit and look for themselves and see, listen, is what Paul is saying, is that, is that a line up with the very truth of God? The words that he speaks, do, do we see Jesus in them? Or is it just great teaching from someone so many people are following other people's teachings and not following Jesus. And, and I love the grace, the grace that is found in Jesus. It's like he knew that, and so he says, you know what, they're, they're going to need not only my righteousness, but they're going to need my truth. They're going to need to see me. They're going to need to see how I, how I engage with people, how I love people, how I forgive people, how I'm compassionate, so that they might do also. David says, teach, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This word fear means uh, that, that we, might, we might have reverence. It's kind of a respect. It's not like a, a fear of hiding in the corner, but it's one where it's like, you know what? I see God for who he is. He's amazing. He's majestic. Much like we would respect a wild lion. Because we understand its power. David says that when I walk in the truth, I see God for who he is and, and, and I engage him in the way he's meant to be engaged. Full of power and glory. In fact, he, he goes on to say it in verse 12 of Psalm 86. He says, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. God, I want to make you famous. Because that's what happens when, when I realize that your righteousness has been accredited to me and that you have given me your truth so that I might walk with you. I just want to make you famous. That should 
should do something to our hearts. When we're blown away by the grace of God, it should do something to our hearts. And if it doesn't, then we have to ask the question, do I truly understand what it means to be saved? Do I, do I truly understand what it means to have God's grace poured out on me? Have I truly come into a, a, an interaction with Jesus Christ? I give thanks to you, O oh Lord, my God, my whole heart, with my whole heart, and I, and I want to glorify your name forever. Verse 13, for great is your steadfast love. This word steadfast, great is your faithful love. Great is your covenantal love. Your never changing love. How different is it to us, right? Because my love is not always safe. My love is ever changing. It's not steadfast. God's completely the opposite. And so David praises him for that. He praises him for that. For your, for your great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. See, this word Sheol in the, in the Hebrew simply, mean, uh, simply meant a grave. You've delivered my soul from the grave. It's much like a cemetery today. Not any different. It's where we bury the dead. But if we're to truly understand what David is saying here, but to understand what he meant when he said, you've delivered my soul from Shoal. See, uh, uh, Shoal was to be understood as, as a place that was empty of love, empty of work, empty of thought and knowledge and wisdom, that there was no light there, no remembrance. There was no praise of God. In fact, there was no sound at all. It's because God was not there. Simply put, God was not there. And so David says, Lord, I want to thank you that you delivered my soul from that place. Remember Jesus' words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That I am the life that has delivered you, your soul from that place of death. That, that place where you are separated from God. I am the one who gives life. Much like we saw last week with, with Lazarus. Again, a, a, just a picture. When Jesus brought Lazarus from dead to life, that was meant to be a picture of what Jesus does spiritually for us. The focus was not meant to be on the miracle. As amazing as it was, <coughs> our focus was meant to be on Jesus and how he brings us from a place of death to life. Because here's the thing, somewhere in the middle east there's a tomb, and on that tomb it says, here lies Lazarus. Lazarus died again, right? He, he physically died. Much like all of us here, we're going to physically die, that we're decaying. And so the, the point is meant to be understood in that, look, Jesus comes to give us life. As David cries out that you will deliver my soul from this place of death, we're to understand it. That the only way that that's going to happen is by putting our trust in the one who says, I am the life. I am the life. 
that nothing else, nothing else that you find will take you from death. And we try. We try. We pursue all these things hoping that they will give us life. Whether it's sex or success, whether it's relationships, whether it's education. I mean, some of us will, will put our everything into getting that master's or that PhD, hoping that it will give us life. These things are good things. They really are. They're good things. But they will not deliver your soul from a place of death, from a place of separation. <coughs> and so Jesus said, listen, I am that life. That when you put your trust in me, you'll experience full satisfaction. You'll find full joy. I am that life. But then he, he ends this I am statement with, with, with some words that, that, that really don't make the church uh, that popular today. And not only does he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but listen to what he says. He says, no one comes to the Father. We're back in John chapter 14, verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those aren't very popular words today. It's kind of weird when, when you tell people I actually believe that. People are like, are you serious? You seriously believe that? How close-minded are you? No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Is that what you said? Is that what you believe? And the answer should be yes for those who are in Christ, for those who cross the line of faith. It should be yes, and, and simply because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But I'm going to unpack that a little bit. I'm going to hopefully try to give you something that you can say that is both biblically true and, and hopefully would, would make sense to, to those who are hearing it, to both those outside of the church, those who don't believe in Jesus, and then hear this to those in the church who struggle to believe. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing. There are many I know in this room probably who struggle with that. It's just like, look, I, I love Jesus, but, but, but what you're saying, that, that no one comes to, what, what, about, what about those people in that foreign country? I'm going to try to unpack that for us as we land the plane this morning. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, when I engage with people who don't believe in Jesus and, and hear that and go, listen, come on, seriously, there's so many religions Surely there should be multiple ways to get to God. I'm assuming that there's one God, and so there's multiple ways to get there. Surely Jesus can't say that. Because it, it sounds like Christianity is incredibly exclusive. When you make a statement like that, it sounds like your faith is incredibly exclusive. And my answer is yes and no. Yes, and that the, 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 he is the only way that is exclusive. When we look at the I am the door, Jesus was saying, listen, there's only one door. There's only one entrance to get into this place, to experience the fullness of who God is. And I am that door. It's incredibly exclusive, and I agree with you. But, but hear this, that invitation 
is unbelievably interesting. And that anybody, anybody can come. Anybody can come. That you, you don't have to have your act all together. You don't have to have studied in a particular place. You don't have to have grown up in a particular part of the city. Anyone can come. It is incredibly inclusive. And so though there's only one way to the Father that is found through Jesus, putting your trust in him and him alone, that invitation is made to everyone. It's made to everyone. And I love the beauty of, of the Christian faith in that, in that though it had an origin, right, in the Middle East, it, it has no home. I believe that's intentional. There's no, that we don't have to go to Jerusalem to attain a higher spiritual whatever. It has no home because it's meant for everyone. That we can stand together with those who are in South America, to those who are in Asia, to, to those who are in the West, who have put their trust in Jesus, knowing that we worship and praise the same God. Because it is incredibly inclusive. You don't have to dress a certain way. Like some religions, again, if you want to attain that higher spirituality, then you've got to transition to begin to dress a particular way. Only then are you truly in the faith. Where Christianity is like, no, no, you be you. You be you. Because all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus. Incredibly inclusive. But for those who are in the faith, those who are in the church, those who've crossed the line and have said, you know what, I, I, I love Jesus. I, I truly do. But I also struggle. I'm a little like Thomas. There's a safe place to go, you know what, hey, I, I, I'm wrestling with that one. I'm wrestling with that one. No one comes to the Father except to me. I'm wrestling with that one. Because what about, what about the, the, the children in, in the jungle somewhere in a foreign country? What about them? What about them? That's why we have Matthew 28. The beauty of Matthew 28, the great commission. The great commission that, 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 that says to us, to those who have been transformed by the grace of God, to those who have been blown away by the fact that his perfection has been accredited to us and that we did nothing for it. That all we had to do was turn away from, from whatever we believed would fulfill us and turn to him and then that we are given the truth that we might walk with him in intimacy. When you're blown away by that, to use the words of Paul, we are to be compelled, compelled to tell others. Compelled to tell others. And so when you hear the words of, well, what about those people in that jungle? And it's like, well, well we better get there then. We better go tell them about the incredible grace that is found in Jesus Christ. The joy that they can experience by being in a relationship with him. What about your neighbor? Your colleague? Family and friends? Are you so, so gripped by the grace of God that you're compelled to tell them? When was the last time you told someone that Jesus is the way and the truth 
life, and not because you had to, but because you were blown away by the grace and mercy that has been given to you. The good news of the gospel should compel us. It should compel us. It drives us. And so when people say, I struggle to believe that because those people in that other part of the world, then our response should be, so when are we going? When are we sending? Are we putting resources together? That's why even as, as small as we are, as a church plant, we're going, now we want to partner with Spruce so he can go plant a church in Mamelodi. So that he can tell people there about the incredible grace that's been given to us. And it's all anchored on the beautiful truth that he is the way. He is the righteousness that is given to us that we don't have to work for. He is the truth he lays it out for us. He gives us this map so that we can walk in this, in this beautiful, intimate relationship with our family. And that, that flows out in how we relate with one another. How do I love my wife in the way that pleases God? Oh, the truth has been given to me. It's all I have to do is it. How do I forgive those who have hurt me? The beautiful truth of God has been laid out for us. All I have to do is follow it. But also, he is the life, our very joy, our very satisfaction. We are fulfilled in him. Nothing else, no relationship, no amount of money, no academic qualification will give you the life that Jesus says, I will give you. That's the beauty of the gospel. And my hope this morning is that you will thank him or something. And if you're a Christian here this morning, that you would anchor yourself in it. Even as you walk through all the different challenges that you face, the uncertainty of tomorrow, be it politically, economically, racially, that you would anchor yourself in that beautiful truth, in the way, the truth, and the life. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, you walked in, you journeyed, you try to figure this out. I want to invite you. I really want to invite you because I believe Jesus does it. He invites us to come. To come and partake. To come and be a part. And all you have to do is to turn away from, from the very thing that you know is not enough. That's why you feel like whatever you're pursuing, you always hit the ceiling. And then you've got to redirect and you go find something else. And then you hit the ceiling and then you redirect and you've got to find something else. An invitation is being made to you to say, come home. You're on the wrong train. Come home. Come home. I'm going to prepare a room for you. And you can bank on it because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you.
So, Father, we, we, we come now. Pleading with you that you would, you would truly show us who you are. That so many of us, we, we found ourselves on all these different trains, hoping that they would take us to this place where we would experience true joy and, and true life. But if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, we find ourselves having to get off and get on another train. And then it's not too long before we have to get off and get on another one. And so we're tired, we're weary. And, and the reality that we, we find ourselves in a world that's constantly changing. So many challenges. So many things that trouble us. Father, I'm crying out to you for my own heart and for the hearts of those here that, that we would stop and just fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. You make this invitation to us. That all we have to do is come. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to get ourselves uh, in a particular place. All we need to do is come. And you will transform our hearts. You will give us life. You will reconcile us back to the Father. And as you do that, reconcile us to each other. That we might declare your praise. And so Lord, we love you. We praise you. And as we close out, would, would we do so just honest and genuine hearts? Um, if you're broken, it's okay. If you're broken. If you're hungry, you want to know more about him. This is a safe place to be. If you show each and every one of us how this would be for you. In Jesus' name.